with him. This was Nicodemus, a man of reputation. And you and I read of the Pharisees and you and I read uh, of, of, of some of Jesus' statements and some of Jesus', uh, I guess, strong rebukes being directed at the Pharisees. And yet here these ones that had such an issue with Jesus, yet this one, amongst a few others as well, but this one here, wondered as to how Jesus does what he does. And so he comes to him. So here you see the caliber of Nicodemus and then you see the curiosity of Nicodemus and, and no wonder being a man of reputation, perhaps this being the reason why he came by night, um, maybe not willing to be seen, maybe not willing to be identified as having any connection or any communication with Jesus Christ because he was part of the Pharisees, you see. He sided with the Pharisees. And so the, but the curiosity of Nicodemus got the better of him. And so he came in verse 2. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. So he is hearing what he said as far as Nicodemus is concerned. He has not heard Jesus say anything as far as his understanding goes. That contradicts the scriptures. He says, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And so he's acknowledging what he has seen, what he has heard. And although we see the caliber of Nicodemus, you see the curiosity of Nicodemus. Now we read and see the call of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. And he answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This was Jesus' reply or direct address to Nicodemus, I believe, cutting straight to the chase. Him knowing perhaps what was taking place in the heart of Nicodemus, in the mind of Nicodemus. Nicodemus acknowledging these things that were stated in verse 2. And so Jesus cuts straight to the chase. And he makes the statement as we read just now in verse 3. Unless a man is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom from God. In essence is what he's saying. This is what it is to be born again. To be born from above. And then you see after a statement like that, confusion comes upon Nicodemus. It says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Very natural uh, question to ask. A, a natural man thinks like this. I don't know about you, but I, in personal experience and can personally testify, after telling different ones that they must be born again, have had this question asked to me, oh, what, do I need to go back in my mother's uh, womb and be born again, do I? And I've had it. It's a very natural question to ask. It's a natural man thinking. It's, but Jesus clarifies from verse 5. Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
And so here he is clarifying, and I believe here he is appealing or relating to the understanding that Nicodemus is familiar with, and I believe referring him back to what was already stated in the Old Testament. There's no doubt many differing views on verse 5. What does it mean to be born of water and of the Spirit? And there are different views, but one thing we understand that comes through with every single biblically sound uh, view presented, it is a spiritual birth, no doubt about it. Many allude, and I believe it's true to allude to Ezekiel chapter 36, where it was a covenant or a promise that was foretold in the Old Testament. And Nicodemus, being of the Pharisees, was very familiar with the Old Testament. And it's specifically, I'm referring to Ezekiel 36, where he says, and this is where the Pharisees had an issue, where he says in Ezekiel 36, for I will take for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. And he goes on and says, And will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. This is a covenant that God is giving to his people, saying something that God will do to them and for them. He says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. And so I believe what Jesus is referring to here is he's taking him back to this New Testament promise that's stated in the Old Covenant, that I'm going to clean you, that I'm going to wash you. And what we see in Scripture is there is a washing of the water by the Word of God. And so some believe that this being born of water and of the Spirit, the water being a physical birth, a water birth, um, and the spirit being the spiritual birth, uh, but others also lean towards the fact that it is all relating to this connection with the Word of God that the message is brought, whereby we are born of the Spirit of God. And so why I say it is connection, no doubt, either way of being born of the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual birth. Um, in a commentary, it states concerning uh, Jewish history, or it suggests, I should say, that converts to Judaism were said to become as newborn children. When they were baptized or removed, uh, to, excuse me, when they were baptized, they, uh, excuse me, and when they were baptized, it was to remove Gentile impurity. This is what it signified. This is the idea why they say it is born of water, and some do believe it has a connection with baptism. And uh, born of water, they say, clarifies for Nicodemus that born from above means conversion, not a second physical birth as such. And so the point that it's simply trying to suggest here that this concept of a new birth was not foreign to the Jews. And uh, they would often refer to them as proselytes. 
and even the term proselytes is used in the New Testament. Either way, what Jesus is cutting to the chase with Nicodemus is Nicodemus, what you need is not something of a physical nature, it's of a spiritual nature. And what he's saying, not only to Nicodemus, but to everyone in verse 7, ye must be born again, ye plural, every one of you, Nicodemus, I'm saying to you that everyone must be born again. You must be born from above. It's a spiritual birth. I personally don't uh, lean towards this alluding to baptism. We understand that there is no doubt a word and a clear uh, inclusion of baptism in connection with salvation in the sense that it follows it thereafter, no doubt about it. And I do believe that if the Lord intended baptism, that He would, would have used the word baptism here. But what I believe here, it's signifying, no doubt, this purifying and cleansing that comes by the Word of God, which in, takes effect by the Spirit of God. In the mind of Nicodemus, I believe, being well studied in the Old Testament, his mind understood even concerning Leviticus about the hyssop that was dipped in water and blood and sprinkled on lepers to cleanse them. His mind understood the water of purifying in Numbers chapter 8 that was sprinkled on the Levites even to cleanse them. His mind understood the water of separation in Numbers 19 that was sprinkled on those who were defiled to cleanse them and to purify them from their sin. And Jesus went on to explain to Nicodemus what he was referring to. But notice Nicodemus's response in John chapter 3 and verse 9, the confounding of Nicodemus. He says, how can these things be? How can these things be? And so, notice the charge the Lord Jesus Christ gives. He answered and said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? You, Nicodemus, being a teacher of Israel, you being the one that educates the people, you don't know what I'm talking about? He says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, don't confuse the physical with the spiritual. The outward practice given in the Old Testament is symbolic of the inward purifying, no doubt about it. And he goes on to talk about the work of the Spirit of God, or again alluding back to verse 8, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And this is the constant thrust that's coming through, being born again and being born of the Spirit. It's not of a physical nature, it's of a spiritual nature. You need to be cleansed and made alive. You need to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You need to be made alive by the Spirit of God. Amen. Being born again. Elsewhere stated in Peter, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. You know, teaching the righteousness of God is no doubt a necessary thing, how God desires righteousness and loves righteousness. But teaching the righteousness of God, although it's a necessary thing that we know what the righteousness of God looks like, but emphasizing righteous works without God is a very dangerous thing. 
because what the old or the new covenant stated in the old covenant uh, or the old testament states is that god is the one that creates in us uh, good works god is the one that works in us what he desires us to do and he states again in the old test excuse me in the old testament concerning this new covenant that when he puts his spirit within us he says he will cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them and so emphasizing the righteousness of god emphasizing even morality has its place and no doubt is a necessary thing but it's a very dangerous thing when you're emphasizing the righteousness stated in the scriptures and morality stated in the scriptures but what you're doing whether you know it or not and be very careful brothers and sisters we can be guilty of it is we can separate the fact that the spirit of god is the one that works in and out the righteousness that god desires us to live out and it's a dangerous thing if we teach righteousness without teaching our young ones and teaching others the fact that God ultimately is going to work this in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure Amen. and so this righteousness that is worked out we must be very careful that we're not we're not simply educating and training the flesh to do it but we educate and, and give an understanding to all people that this righteousness is the righteousness of God and this is what He wants us to uphold and we are to teach it to our little ones, no doubt about it. It was instructed for them that, that they are to be taught it and they are to be walk, walking in it. But we are not to neglect the fact that we are to teach that it is by the Spirit of God these things must flow out, must flow out. And thereby this is the only way that our righteousness could ever exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. It's not just about righteousness. It's not just about righteousness. It's a dangerous thing and we must be careful. And I believe this is partly the reason why we often lose the next generation and the generations to come. You know why? They got sick of just trying to do right in the flesh. And they know the facts and they know the doctrines and they know the teachings, but you know what they don't know? The Spirit of God. And they don't have the Spirit of life dwelling in them. And they have never been born again. They do not know what it means that God by His Spirit is going to cause them to walk in His statutes. That God does that? What do you mean? He's called us to do that. Yes, He's called us to do that. But by the Spirit of God, we do that. Amen. And those that know the doctrine and know the truths and know the facts but have no life and seem that they are the ones doing it. It's because there's perhaps a missing link here. That they've been taught morality and righteousness but not the spirit of power that works those things in us whereby we are able to submit ourselves unto righteousness and no longer, excuse me, no longer unto the flesh. It's a dangerous thing. And so this is why I say the Pharisees don't like it. The Pharisees prided themselves in their self-righteousness. Even certain of the Jews prided themselves in the keeping of the law. But one thing Jesus came and did constantly time and time and time and time again, using the law that they claimed to uphold, He used it to show them you are not upholding it and you cannot uphold it. Not to undermine the law of God by any means, but to show them it is a law so high and holy that we cannot keep it. And if there had been a law given whereby we can attain righteousness, then surely righteousness would become by the law. But it's not by the law. 
Like Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The law is a good thing and it is to be used lawfully. But it is not by the law that we are born again. And here he continues, I believe, and the New Testament alludes to us this spiritual birth, this being born from above, this necessity, this must, this imperative that if you are not, you cannot see the kingdom of God, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It is by the Spirit of God that blows where He listeth. And this is why when we sing songs like Pass Me Not, O Gentle Saviour, as a song of appeal, not to move emotionally, but to in reality consider the fact that if God is moving and God is working and God even here today by the Word of God is offering you another opportunity to come to Him, to be born again, that you would cry back to Him, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Saviour. And here my humble cry while on others thou art calling do not pass me by you must be born again this is the charge this is what jesus gave to nicodemus not just for him but for everyone the scriptures teach us that after the kindness and love of god our savior toward a man toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the holy ghost which he shed on us abundantly through jesus christ our savior that being justified by his grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life not of works and sometimes i know there are certain ones that might think what's this mean this washing of regeneration what's this renewing of the holy ghost and it's okay if you wrestle with that and don't quite understand that i thank god that the next ver uh, uh, words and verses clarify very clearly exactly what it's alluding to that it's salvation by grace through faith whereby you will see or even enter into the kingdom of God, have this hope of eternal life. Hebrews chapter 9 says it clearly, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his blood, his own blood, excuse me, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, listen to this, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Being born again, Peter says, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. This is how you can be born again. If only you'd hear the gospel and give heart to it every single one of us here regardless what background we've come from had some sort of knowledge of jesus christ 
and some sort of knowledge of the gospel. Every single person here that has spent some time under the preaching of the word of God can say very clearly and knows completely what the gospel is. They can say, I know what the gospel is, that Jesus came and he died for my sins. And on the third day, he was, uh, excuse me, and was buried. And then on the third day, as the scripture said, he rose again according to the scriptures. And I know that he is ascended uh, into heaven. And we know that uh, he's seated at the right hand of God. And we know he's coming again one day. We know the gospel and we know this truth that even you're saying today. But you know what the difference is? You have not believed it. You have not trusted in it. You have heard, but you have not believed. You're hearing, but you're not believing. Being born again is completely different to acknowledging a doctrinal truth. Being born of the Spirit, being made alive is not just simply hearing the Word of God and saying, oh yeah, I agree with that. Okay, that's what it is. Okay, I'll store that up in my knowledge, although it has place, no doubt about it. For those scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. I don't want to undermine that for a moment, but please understand the missing link and the problem does not lie with God. Why is there a lifelessness? Why is there a sense of deadness? Why is there a sense of defeat, a constant defeat? Why is there never a prevailing? Why is there an up and down? Why is there a of, of, of overcoming? I'm back again and I get right and I'm back again and I get right and I'm back again. And that's your testimony. That's your life story. That's your profession of Christianity, my friend. The missing link is being born again. You acknowledge the truth, but you must repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior. You must repent of your righteousness. Those good things that you think make you right with God or those good deeds that you thought have appeased God in some way and He's got a smile on you because you went to church or read your Bible. My friend, you must forsake all these things, your dead works, and trust in the true and living God, this Savior, this gospel that you know well. He wants all, not just your profession. He wants all, not just a simple acknowledgement. He wants all. This is why I don't ever want to undermine, even though I don't believe John chapter 3 is alluding to baptism. But this is why I never want to undermine the waters of baptism. You and I read in the scriptures such a close connection of believing and being saved and being baptized. Such a close connection that you must repent and be baptized to be saved. And we can get confused sometimes, especially those that aren't familiar with the word and think that, that water baptism is of necessity to be born again. My friends, this is not what it's emphasizing. For it goes on oftentimes after these verses to appeal to the fact that it's a matter of if you've believed, if you've received, you will be baptized. It's in close connection and this is what we see in the scriptures and this is what we see even in history for those that decided that I'm going to identify by water baptism that God has made my conscience clear and I'm going to be baptized identifying with Jesus Christ. You know what that meant? Excommunication. You know what that meant? Death for them. You know what that meant? Being misunderstood, losing their jobs, losing their lives. Because they have decided to identify publicly before all men that I am buried with Christ. 
And when you come out of the wo that water, you show that I am risen with Christ and I'm going to walk in the newness of life. I am not what I was anymore. Jesus saved me. That's the picture of a person that has decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. This is why I don't undermine it. But these cleansing rituals that we see in connection with these things, he's saying, especially in Hebrews, how much more the blood of God. This is the fulfillment of all of that. The cleansing and purifying. And this is why I believe Peter says, it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh when you get water baptized. It's the answer of a good conscience. And you can only ever have that guilt removed. That answer of a good conscience when you come to Jesus and are born again. This is why also I believe Jesus would say things like, It is the spirit that quickeneth, that makes alive, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And in John 6, he goes on to say, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. What a fearful thought. What a sobering thought that Jesus knew and knows still now from the beginning and still now who it is that has believed who it is that has believed not and who's going to betray him and he spoke those words always alluding to this spiritual birth the Jews were caught up with the physical even when he went on in John chapter 6 to talk about his body and his blood they didn't get it and they missed the whole point Ephesians chapter 5 even teaches us husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Listen, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word of God. And so this is where you see close connection again. The teaching I believe in this passage is no doubt inseparable with what the word of God uh, teaches and is delivering to us. This is where God has stated his promises. This is where God has stated the gospel. And this is the word whereby even this morning I'm preaching unto you. For those who would believe on those words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. You'll be born again. You have that clear conscience that you've been trying to find in all these other avenues. That can never satisfy. Even Jesus said, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Marvel not, therefore, brethren, marvel not that Jesus said to Nicodemus, that Jesus told Nicodemus, he's talking to everyone, that includes us. Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. Everyone must be born again. Don't stand in amazement and wonder and admiration that I'm telling you this because it was already written in the Old Testament. This is no new doctrine, Nicodemus. I told you from back then that I was going to do this. So don't marvel that I'm telling you now everyone must be born again. You must be born again. Have you been born again? 
Have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been born from above? When I say this statement, when I ask you these questions, does your heart rejoice in the Lord and say, Praise God, Hallelujah, glory to the Lamb of God that not only takes away the sin of the world, but that has taken away my sin. Let me tell you about it. There's something about those that are born again that can't help but tell, talk about it. But if you're here and you don't quite get what I'm saying, you don't even know what's this born again still. You keep saying being born again, born again, the spirit. Yeah, I believe these things. What's, what's, what's the problem? My friend, you need to stop. And you need to come to God like a little child. And if you have not given all, I was speaking to a man recently who told me what the gospel was and who was sharing with me, uh, in essence, just the simplicity of it. Isn't that it? And isn't that all? And praise God. Yes, that's all. But there was a missing link. There was something there that there was no life of God. And, and although he wouldn't say it in those words, he knew there was something there and his ears and heart were, were pricked up and attentive when I would speak about such assurance that God gives to his child of this hope of eternal life, of this assurance knowing that you will, in essence, be there with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this man, I believe, desires to know. And although he knew the simplicity of the gospel and said, isn't that all there is to it? The Lord brought to my heart the same invitation that Jesus gave, and he didn't give it by way of believe the gospel and be saved. He gave it by way of, if you don't hate your mother and father, and brother and sister and wife, yeah, even your own life also, and take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And the Lord led me to appeal to this man, my friend, you must understand God wants your all. He doesn't want your profession. He doesn't want you to just simply acknowledge a fact. It doesn't change the fact. The fact will always be the fact. The truth will always be the truth. Whether someone says, you know what, this is true. It's not going to change the fact that it is true. He is not coming for you to just simply acknowledge the truth. He's coming for you to give all. To forsake all. Even your own life also. Friends, have you ever wondered why Jesus even spoke to that rich young ruler the way he did? He was a rich man. He was referred to as a ruler. Again, similar perhaps in some respects to Nicodemus. And he asked Jesus a question, knowing that he too was a teacher that people were flocking to. No one ever flocked like they did to Jesus. And he says, Master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he rattled off a few of those commandments that he was very familiar with. And the last one he said to this rich young ruler was, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who remembers what that answer was? From my youth up, I have kept this. Now, before I keep going, is that the way to have eternal life? Let me say yes. Have you kept it? That's not even an option for us. This is why Jesus said, He came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So for us, it's impossible, brothers and sisters. This is why the captain of our salvation has came and bought our redemption in that sense. But going on, He says to him, He says, sell all that you have 
give it to the poor, follow me, and I'll give you riches in heaven. Now, you think about this. What would come into your mind, especially perhaps not knowing the scripture or that portion of scripture, if you walk past me on the street saying to a man, saying, mate, if you don't sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, you're never going to get to heaven. What would you think of me? What, what kind of gospel is that? But you know what Jesus does. He's touching on the very thing that you have not given over to him. You are professing to know him. You are professing to follow him. You're professing to be one of his and, and saying that you are for God and, and God is for you in some respects. But what Jesus always did was touching on the very thing that you were withholding from him to show you, hang on a minute, you have not kept the law. You don't love your neighbor as yourself. What would you do if you were that poor man? And you don't love God more than anything else because he walked away sorrowful knowing he had great riches. And so my friends, what is it that you're holding on to? You say, I've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, but what are you holding on to that's stopping you? Do you have more fear and respect and love for your family than you do of God? Do you have more uh, delight or desire to uphold your own reputation in the workplace than you do in the sight of God? My friend, if you've not come to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm done. All or nothing was the invitation to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the clearest fruit shown thereof was stated in John chapter 8. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know what a child of God looks like? God said that, that's what I'm doing. This is why, again, I say with baptism, this is why, again, I say with the forsaking even of worldliness and worldly lusts, it all goes out the door when you come to Jesus and you do what Jesus wants you to do. You want me to be baptized, Lord? I'll be baptized. That was a hard thing for me, you know that. I was raised as a Catholic. I was baptized as an infant. I thought that's all I needed and that's fine. Baptism's done. But it wasn't a Bible baptism. It wasn't a believer's baptism. And God had gripped my heart already, having saved me, convicting me that His Word was His Word. And to honor Him, saying, Lord, I want to do what you say. And so I'd made that decision to follow Jesus in the waters of baptism. But it didn't stop there, brothers and sisters. It didn't stop at the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. By His grace, it's continuing. This, I believe, is a mark stated clearly in the Scriptures that you go on to perfection, as it were. But salvation is often the missing link. Being born again is often the missing link. 1 Corinthians speaks of a people group, again, addressing a people of Corinth that was a vile place, a vile city. It was known for its wickedness. It was known for its vileness. It was known for its corruptions. And there's a list there from verse 9 in chapter 6. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then there's three scary words that come after it. He says, be not deceived. Why say something like that? Because people are deceiving themselves. Well, be not deceived about what? 
neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor effeminate, uh, excuse me, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know why it says be not deceived? Because I believe in some respects there were many that were deceived thinking they were all good when they weren't. There were many that were deceived that were practicing these things and it was a, a characteristic of their lifestyle and thinking they were all good with God. Don't be deceived. These ones will not inherit the kingdom of God. My friend, don't deceive yourself to thinking you're going to get there because you've made a profession one day when your lifestyle is governed by these things. But you know what the good news is? He says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know what he's saying? But some of you have been born again. Praise God for that. That if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Even that service that you're doing now for God in the flesh, my friend, will become new. And you'd know all of that was nothing. And now you have come to submit yourself to the righteousness of God. And watch and see what the Lord will do by the life in the Spirit. The conclusion of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 3, where the passage leads us to, is passages that we're very familiar with. And he says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here the Scriptures is clearly uh, eternal life, excuse me. Thank you, Habibta. Here the scriptures is clearly leading the minds of the readers back to what happened when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And here we read in Numbers chapter 21, you don't have to go there for the sake of time, but the people spake against God and against Moses. You brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes. This light bread. They were sick of God's provision. And they were sick of the, the way things were happening. And they, and they murmured against God. And they murmured against Moses. And so as a judgment and consequence for that, there were serpents that were sent to them that would bite them. And they were dying because of the serpents. And they fled back to Moses and said, We've sinned against God and you. Because we've murmured against God. So Moses prays. And God leads Moses, or, and, and there's a brazen serpent, a serpent out of brass that was made. And, uh, and the Lord said unto Moses to make this and to set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And the passage of scripture in John chapter 3 is taking our mind back to this event. And it's in essence applying it saying this now 
is applied with Jesus. That Jesus has been lifted up for us. That if any man would look and live, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That anyone would look and live. What is this bite of the serpent that we have upon us? Let me say it is sin. And everyone has been bitten, as it were, with sin. And we are dying. And the only hope man has for their soul is to look to Jesus to live. Whosoever, anybody, anyone and everyone that would look will live. How simple is that? How familiar is that to every one of us? But you know what happened to that brazen serpent? It became an idol to them. And they started, the, the scripture uh, tells us that, that, that it says that they, um, that they cut down the groves and break in pieces even the brazen serpent in Hezekiah's time. That serpent that God told Moses to lift up and, and says anyone that would look on it would live in Hezekiah's reign. They broke down the groves, they broke down the idols, they broke down the brazen serpent. Why is this lumped in with groves and idols? Because it says there, For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and they even gave it a name. They turned this thing into an idol. This is what Christianity has become today. This is what Christianity is today all around us. It's simply a religious title we bear now. It's another denomination that we're a part of, that I'm a Christian or a Muslim or I'm this or I'm that. It's become nothing but an oil. It's becoming nothing but a little relic that people wear around their neck in the symbol of a cross saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That's not what Christianity is. None of that represents Christ. It's an identity almost that we've taken upon that is like a Pharisee or Sadducee. Oh, they're a Pharisee because that's what they believe. They're a Sadducee because that's what they believe. It's a distortion of true Christianity. And this is what's lacking in the world today. The purpose... Where is this true Christianity? What does this Christ do when you look and live? Where is this evidence that salvation brings to those that have been born again? And so when you look out there, what do you see? People that name the name of Jesus looking like the world. It's being lumped in with the groves and idols. And it needs to be torn down. True Christianity must be lifted up once again. This true Christ is still being lifted up to all who would come and look and live. Look to this Jesus, this holy child that gave himself for your sins and my sins, that you would be born again. He makes it clear that it's not just for the Jews, Nicodemus. Salvation is not just for the Jews. It's also for the whosoever. And this is what John chapter 3, 16 and onward goes on to say that we are familiar with. To the Jews, that was a huge thing. What do you mean salvation is come to the Gentiles? Salvation is to the Jews. But scriptures teach us because the Jews turned God away. Well, they turned his salvation away in essence. And so lo, as Paul put it, we turn to the Gentiles. And so as it's written in Romans, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That repentance unto life has been granted unto the Gentiles. Why? Because the Jews rejected it. And salvation is offered, offered excuse me, not just for the Jews, 
but for everyone. This is why in the synagogues there were Gentile believers, there were proselytes, proselytes excuse me, in their midst. And when, when, when the gospel was being preached, the Jews had question and a sense of reserve in their heart. But the scripture says things like the Gentiles wanted to hear it again. What is this? What are we hearing? What did we see in Acts chapter 10? Salvation has come to the Gentiles. When the testimony was told by Peter and the witnesses that was there before the other Jewish brethren, they says, all right, what can we say against this? Salvation has come to the Gentiles. You know why every one of us is sitting here this morning? Because salvation has come to the Gentiles. That salvation is offered to whosoever will that will come to Jesus and be born again. And the invitation comes to you, my friend. The scriptures clearly teach us, as you are all probably so familiar with, that it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Again, the whole righteousness without God is wrong. It's the righteousness that God has ordained, being created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Salvation is by grace through faith. You know, that's a very powerful truth. And that's a reality you must grasp. And it was a reality that the religious folk particularly needed to grasp. That salvation was nothing of yourself. That salvation had nothing to do with what I do. It's not of works. And there was a reason for that. As already mentioned in Titus. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's according to his mercy he saved us. It's by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which was shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's the gift by grace, as Romans puts it. And if it's of grace, then it's no more of works. Else grace is no more grace. It's of grace. It's nothing of you. It's all of God. You must understand that salvation is all of God. And this is where, turn with me to chapter, John chapter 1, and we're going to just kind of wind down here. Turn with me to John chapter 1. And this is why he says things like this, and people need to understand something that I was enlightened to when I was born again and read a portion of scripture like this. We'll read it first. And then let's think on it from verse 11. He says, he, speaking of Jesus Christ, came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. And he's saying those that are born of God. 
the authority has come, or it says the authority has come that they are called the sons of God. To become, and I'm going to read uh, from a commentary here, to shed some light in this. To become a child in a physical sense, one must be born. So also to become a child of God, one must have a second birth. This is known as the new birth or conversion or being saved. This verse tells us three ways by which the new birth does not take place. And the one way by which it does. Firstly, not of blood. This means that a person does not become a Christian through having Christian parents. Salvation is not passed down from parent to child through the bloodstream. You being born into a Christian family or a Christian household doesn't make you a Christian. There is no such thing as someone being a Christian from the womb. Although perhaps God no doubt in His foreknowledge foresees and foreknows these things, my friends, you must understand you are not a Christian from the womb. You must be born again. Being born in a Christian home doesn't make you that. One other commentator points out the facts and suggests that the word blood is written in the plural form. And so he suggests blood in reference to bloods uh, is not perhaps only referring to this as just mentioned, but also possibly referring to all those offerings of blood which can never take away sin. The blood of circumcision can never take away sin. Even the lamb that was slain on the Passover that was put on the doorpost can never take away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ can take away sin. That one sacrifice for sin forever. And so perhaps alluding to those bloods or not, I know not. All it's simply saying, whether by these bloods, blood offerings or whether by lineage, which is what I personally believe, my friend, it is not by blood that you are made a child of God. That's why even Jesus would say things like this, I believe. Don't say to yourself that we are of Abraham's seed. My friend, be careful not to point back to your heritage and say that's why I'm a Christian in the sense that you believe that's the only reason you're a Christian. How many times I've heard people say, oh, my father's a priest, my uncle's a minister, my grandfather is this. My friends, none of that makes you a Christian. It's not of blood. Secondly, it is not of the will of the flesh. In other words, he suggests a person does not have the power in his own flesh to produce the new birth. Although he must be willing in order to be saved, yet his own will or willingness is not enough to save him. In other words, some people aren't against this. And some people may be willing, as it were, to be saved, but that doesn't even save you. It is not because of your willingness to be saved that salvation has come. It is not of the will of the flesh. It is not of the will of a physical thing. And I believe this is where in somewhat in connection, it goes on to the third thing. It is not of the will of man. This commentator goes on to say, no other man can save a person. A preacher, for instance, may be very anxious to see a certain person be uh, born again, but he does not have the power to produce this marvelous thing. You cannot deem yourself a child of God 
My friend, that's God's authority to say you are a child of God. No man, it is not by the will of man. No man can say I'm a child of God by his own authority. It is by adoption. God has the authority to say you are my child. It is not of the will of man. God doesn't say how then does this birth take place? The answer is found in the words, but of God. This means simply that the power to produce the new birth does not rest with anything or anyone but God. And as another commentator put it, it is God's sovereign gift to man and not man's achievement. God is the one that purchased our redemption. That's why it's not of ourselves. That's why it's not of works. It's all of God and God offers it to man as a gift. It's by grace you're saved through faith. Nothing of us. I've often said to people, you know what I did to contribute to that? I put him on the cross. He was on that cross because of me dying for my sin if I'm going to boast in some sort of contribution. It's, of, it's by grace you're saved through faith. <clears throat> Not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Are you hoping even in your willingness to be saved? Are you hoping even in the sincerity of your prayer? My friend, you will never be born again if that's what you're hoping in. It is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God you know how many testimonies, how many testimonies have you heard, brothers and sisters, where some said, I didn't even pray a prayer. And there was something that took place in their heart that they were never the same again. That all they simply did without words was believe with all their heart in Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. They repented of it and trusted Jesus to save them. It wasn't words. It wasn't a sinner's prayer. You know what sinner's prayer I read in the scriptures? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What a sinner's prayer. But you know, you can say here to, today those exact words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you can still die and go to hell. My friends, those words ought to be the expression or demonstration of a heart that has been wooed by the Spirit of God, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that as the Spirit of God convicts man of sin, righteousness and judgment, as the Spirit of God takes the Word of life and the Word of God and pierces your heart to it, appeals to your intellect, appeals to your conscience and draws you to say, just look and live. My friend, respond. Don't resist Him. And you would know and understand, yes, it is of God. It is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's why it's to as many as receive Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God. You want to be born of God, my friend? Stop in pride. Putting whatever it is before you that's stopping you from coming to Jesus and trusting Him. What is it? Is it your money? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your home? Is it your work? What is it? What's stopping you? Is it your friends? Is it your children?
Is it your wife? Is it your husband? What's stopping you from coming to Jesus? My friend, that very thing that's stopping you, to use the words of Jesus, is what you're giving in exchange for your soul. For your soul. I hope you are not like, I can't remember who it was, I think King Agrippa, who had, as some have said, his hand on the doorknob of heaven, but never opened it up because of that very thing that stopped you from coming to Jesus and giving your all. You know what is a scary detail heaped in amongst those that are going to be burning in the lake of fire forever and ever. And this being the second death. We often use that not only for adulterers and whoremongers and many things like that. And we often use that as all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. No doubt about it. But you know who's also lumped in in that group? The fearful. The fearful. Those that feared man more than God. Those that were cowardice as it were. Those that the book of Hebrews talks about that when persecution came, they said, see you later. And you never saw him again. And concerning those ones, the fearful. The fearful that would not take up their cross and follow Jesus. The fearful that only professed Christ. The fearful that only spent a season around Christianity. But when persecution came, by and by, they were offended. That's why it says concerning ones like that, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. They saw it, they seen it, they tasted it, they experienced it. They even themselves perhaps says, I believe, I believe. But when that soil was tested, they never continued in the word of God. The fearful are going to be burning in the lake of fire forever and ever. My friend, what are you giving in exchange for your soul? You must come for the Jews. It was their self-righteousness. They were to come and count all things as being but a filthy rag in the sight of God that all the Lord did was show us how unrighteous we were and how we need a Savior. Aren't you glad that when you come to Jesus, He'll never cast you out? Aren't you glad that when you come to Jesus, confessing these sins, and they are sins, whatever they are, that's stopping you, that He will forgive you. But my friends, although God is long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, please understand, as we read in Revelation 19, there's going to come an end to that long-suffering. And there's coming a day where it's no longer time for mercy to be bestowed. It's no longer an opportunity to escape the wrath to come. But there's coming a day where judgment and vengeance will be had. And God, let me tell you, my friends, God delights in mercy. And God takes no death in the pleasure of the wicked. And God does not just want Jews, but all men to be born again. He wants you to be born of God. He wants you to have the Spirit of God. My friend, 
but you must come to Him. You must trust Him. Don't wait another moment. Don't let that thing that's stopping you stop you anymore. Come to Jesus. Forsake your profession. Forsake this, 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 this sincere prayer that you've been hoping on. Forsake the assurance that you've had in, in so-and-so told me I prayed a prayer and I got saved. Or so-and-so said, no, I've seen you live your life. You're a Christian. Forsake it. If you know you don't have the Spirit of God in you, if you know there's something missing, and these things are grievous, they're almost burdens being put upon you. My friend, come to Jesus. Look to Him and live. He is lifted up before us this morning. This season, my friend, that everyone knows about that they call Easter. I speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, it's been lumped in with the groves and idols. Jesus did not come and die to give us a holiday season. My friends, He came to save us from our sin. What would you do with Jesus? What are you going to do with this gospel that's been shared to you, not perhaps for the first time and perhaps again and again and again? What are you going to do with Jesus? He says you must be born again. No way around it. You say, I don't, I don't need to be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. You say, God hasn't told me that. God has told everybody that. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, my friend. It's not a physical birth. It's not just a reformed life you need. You need to be born from above. You need to be born of God. And He is the one that will say, by the assurance of His Spirit bestowed in you and upon you, you are my child. And you know what the response is? Abba, Father. Abba, Father, He who was not our Father before, now you testify by His Spirit, by His salvation, that He is my Father now. Abba, Father. If you're not born again, I want to invite you to come to Jesus. It is that simple if you'd look and live. Whosoever will may come and take of the water of life freely. If we can turn to two more portions of Scripture and then we're done. Nicodemus, turn with me to John chapter 7. Nicodemus, as already stated in the beginning, was affected by what he saw Jesus Christ doing, His miracles. He was uh, uh, affected by what Jesus Christ was declaring with authority. He was speaking the Word of God and, and we saw again how that moved him. But he wasn't quite, quite ready yet to commit. And so he met Jesus at night. And Jesus met him at night. Aren't you glad that Jesus meets you where you're at? And he met him at night. And in John chapter 7, we see that there is a, uh, there is a, a, a disagreement here. There's a differing of opinions, as it were. And some are saying this, and some are saying that. And some are saying it's of God, and some are saying it's, it's not of God. And there's a, there's a differing of opinions here. And amongst this differing of opinions, uh, look at this here. Let's read from verse 45. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees 
And they said unto him, Why have you not brought him? Because they told him to bring him. It says, The officers answered, Never man spake like this. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Look at the intimidation and the manipulation. Verse 48, Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? Hey, Pharisees, we're all together on this. 49, but this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. These people are ignorant following him. They don't know what the word of God says. Notice verse 50. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them. This is the same Nicodemus. Doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? And look at their answer. Then they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet, prophet, excuse me. And every man went unto his own house. You know what this tells me from Nicodemus? There's a fight going on in his heart. Yes, he's a Pharisee. Yes, he's identified with the Pharisees as it were. But there's a division here. Even these soldiers, these ones that they sent to go and bring Jesus, and they came back empty-handed, not with Jesus. So why didn't you bring him? They were affected by the way Jesus was speaking. They were affected by his words. And you can only imagine Nicodemus perhaps, and I say perhaps, in his heart saying, yes, I've heard him speak too. I've heard those words. Those words are authoritative. There's something about the way he speaks. They're gracious words. There's something about it. And then there's this intimidation. There's this fight going on. There's this us and them, Pharisees and, and the unlearned type thing. But Nicodemus not saying, yeah, to the Pharisees, tried to appeal to, to okay, we're law keepers. Does our law judge anyone before hearing the matter out? And they just wanted to shut him down. But you know what that tells me? He's a man that's considering. He's a man that's thinking. He's a man that's weighing it up. He's a man that saw it, came to Jesus by night. Not sure what happened from there on out. But here in John chapter 7, we're seeing it seems like he's still weighing it up. He's still counting the costs. He's still not saying, yeah, Pharisees, you're right. He's trying to appeal in some respects because I believe he's still weighing it up here. And this is by this statement tells me, no, he's not, he's not writing Jesus off, not for a moment. And turn with me to John chapter 19 now. So many are perhaps even here at this place where they're just weighing it up. I've heard, I've seen, I know, but there's something going on in here. There's something stopping. And in John chapter 19, This was after our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. He suffered, died. John chapter 30, uh, excuse me, John chapter 19, verse 30, crying out, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. And then I want us to notice here <clears throat> from verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. 
besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus, because this anyone that died by this way was simply just dumped. And he wanted to get the body of Jesus. And there came also, who came with him in verse 39? Who came with him? Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight, and they, they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury him. You know what I believe the scripture is stating here for us? Nicodemus made his decision. He made his decision. And although there was perhaps some sort of reserve of identifying with Jesus when he was alive, here he comes with Joseph to get the body of Jesus. Making his decision, I believe, this being a declaration that I am for this man. My friends, I don't know where you are at in terms of even Nicodemus's journey, but here he comes to the place, I believe, of identifying with Jesus, the crucified Christ, and unashamed any longer. What will you do with Jesus? You must be born again. Amen. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in a word of prayer. Brothers and sisters, God forbid that we should ever make the truth of Christ, this crucified Christ, this resurrected Saviour, a feast day, a, a holiday, and that's about it. My friends, He came to save us from our sins. Brothers and sisters, never forget, never forget the price that was prayed for our redemption, and never cease to thank Him for it. And if you're here this morning and you've not made that decision yet, I plead with you, I beg you. Jesus invites you to come to Him. I think in John chapter 7, when He cried out that great day of the feast, He said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For if anyone drinks of that fountain... As he said to the woman at the well, you'll never thirst again. In Revelation 21, the invitation says, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. By grace, you are saved through faith. Would you come and drink of this fountain? Would you come and accept the grace of God to be saved and forsaken all else, especially yourself, to follow Him? Come and be born again. Come and be born of God. And you will know of this Spirit 
that will at that moment bear witness with your spirit that you are the child of God. I want to give you a moment just to respond to the Lord in any way. And then Josh, in a few moments, brother, if you'd come and close in a word of prayer and lead us as the Lord leads.